Time to drink some tea and not spill it on my technology. I like having ambiance on in the oh, background. Oh, that's right. You turned the ob- last time it was tavern. This time it's bookstore in the woods. Magic bookstore in the woods. <laughs> Magic bookstore in the woods. Do you yes. think it's offensive to trees to sell books in the woods? Ooh, yikes. That's concerning. That's something I will now think about forever. Thank you. Good evening, beautifuls. I'm Hannah. And I'm Grace. And this is the True Crime Tea Hour. So hi, Grace. Hello. So this is our first time recording where we've actually turned our cameras on. I hate it. Grace and I get to see each other. Grace has these adorable cat ear headphones on that light up when I talk. But not when I talk. And I'm enjoying that. Oh, man. All right, Grace. So what are you drinking tonight? I have blueberry lemonade with vodka in it. Yum. Oh, man. Because I have a theme now, apparently. And (laughs) yes, we're not breaking that tradition. What are you drinking? I'm drinking honey chamomile tea in a vintage cup with a bird on it. It's got a fucking bird on it. Got a fucking bird on it, guys. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. Thank you. Okay, so I was trying to explain that exact like vine (laughs) to somebody the other day, and they looked at me like I was crazy. So I really appreciate you validating that that existed. You're welcome. Thank you. So Grace, how are you doing today? I have had a really unproductive day despite trying to be productive so oh no i love getting distracted from things it's fun okay i was trying to pack and i got like two and a half boxes done and then just got really distracted by bullet journal stuff so that was fun i mean i really enjoyed the distraction i was gonna say bullet journal stuff is pretty awesome yeah i had fun (laughs) it was just really not productive How was your day? Okay, so I had an equally not productive day. I finished notes for this case yesterday. So today I was stuck at home and I spent the whole day binging the second season of Love is Blind. (gasps) There's a second season? There's a second season. Is that new? I don't know. I don't keep up with these like reality shows very much. Oh, I do though. Are You the One is my favorite. I got mom to watch Too Hot to Handle. Did you really? I did. She loved it. She loved it. (laughs) Okay, I tried that one and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I love their growth. They grow so much and learn to like love and respect each other. It's just so nice. Oh. And they're hot people, so it's also fun. (laughs) I just, I was rolling my eyes too much. Oh, it's, they're terrible in the beginning. It's fair. Yeah. Well, I will say the second season, uh, I won't give anything away, but there is some drama. Sign me up. I would love to be an editor for a reality TV show, like just. Oh, they have too much fun. They also have too much power. Oh, yes. I want that much power. Do you? I don't. Should not be trusted. (laughs) I know, but that's like perfect for a reality TV show. I'll just like pick my favorite people and like make the whole show about them and I'll give it to the producers and they're like, that's not what we asked for? No. And you'll probably be like, okay, too bad. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Pay me now. 
So now that this is going to be permanently documented on the internet, neither of us will ever get jobs being reality TV show editors. That's fine. Okay, so we're actually going to start our episode with something a little different. Grace and I both decided that we were going to do a little bit of like a highlight true crime news. We don't have an official name for this small segment in the beginning of our episode, but when we do decide on an official name, we'll let you guys know. Yeah. Hanel O went missing on December 20th, 2021 in Davie, Florida. She's of Korean nationality. She is five feet tall, around 105 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. She's believed to have gone missing under suspicious circumstances. She is known to drive a 2005 Toyota Corolla gray with New Jersey license plates reading L20 N-A-Z. She has connections in New Jersey, Baltimore, Maryland, and Korea. I have linked her FBI missing persons poster in the show notes. If you guys have any information about this individual, please contact your local FBI agency. So that's my true crime news for today's episode. Off to Grace. For my thing, I have some pretty cool forensic news in the past four months. November 2021. Scientists from the University of Nottingham developed a rotation stage to allow researchers and forensic practitioners to perform highly sensitive, non-destructive, time-of-flight secondary ion mass spectroscopy measurements and develop high-resolution fingerprint images on surfaces that conventional fingerprint imaging fails to pick up at all. Retrieval of fingermark evidence from bullet casings is an area of major difficulty for forensic scientists. Multiple factors can make it difficult for conventional methods of fingerprint retrieval such as superglue fuming and fluorescent staining approaches to work. The rotation stage that they've developed opens up new possibilities for the retrieval of high-resolution fingerprints from the whole surface area of challenging shapes and materials like metal bullet casings. And that is from Science Daily News. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So new fingerprint technology. I I honestly wonder if we're going to find new developments in like older cases because of that. What I was thinking. So that's, I I found that to be quite exciting news. All right. We're going to go ahead and jump right in to the case. Grace, have you heard of the Setagaya family murders? Again, with vague memory of that case. This is actually a Japanese case from 2000. It's a pretty famous case in Japan. I haven't heard about it until I honestly found some information about it on Reddit first Oh, and then did a complete deep dive into the case. And it is crazy. I.I.D. Before we begin, make sure you are comfortable cuddling a pet under a warm blanket. You have your beverage, tea, coffee, alcohol all set in front of you because we are going to dive in to the truly bizarre case that is the Setagaya family murders. Also... Quick side note, yeah. Hannah lied to me last week Oh, saying that uh, no animals were dying in this story. And uh, yeah, yeah, she lied and I cried. If you guys remember in the last episode, I promised Grace that no animals die. And then at the end, when we were talking about Bianca Devon's burial, I mentioned that her cat had recently passed away and she was buried with her cat's ashes. So I've only been mad about that for a whole week. It's fine. Can you guys tell we're sisters? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry for the interruption. Continue. We interrupt this broadcast. (laughs) To tell you Grace is mad. 
Please return to your regular scheduled programming. <laughs> okay, so Mikio Miyazawa and his wife, Yasuko, moved into their new home on Kami Soshigaya Street in 1991. Kami Soshigaya Street was located in Setagaya, which has the largest population and second largest area of Tokyo's special wards. So wards are similar to districts in the United States, from what I was able to read about them. Setagaya is located at the southwestern corner of Tokyo's special wards, and the Tama River separates the boundary between Tokyo Metropolis and Kanagawa Prefecture. If you're looking at Japan, this is actually located in the southeastern part of Japan. So a year after they moved in, they had their daughter, Nina, and two years after that, they had their son, Raycoon. When the family first moved into their home, the neighborhood was full. There were about 200 homes and residential buildings at the time, and this was in 1991. But by the year 2000, the Miyazawas started to lose more and more of their neighbors who sold their land to the city. Tokyo actually had plans for the area to expand the nearby Soshigaya Park, which was actually positioned right behind the Miyazawa's house. By the time the year 2000 rolled by, there were actually only four houses left. This included their house, as well as the house belonging to Yasuko's oldest sister, On. But for most of the time, Yusuko and An's mother lived in that house, and her name is Haruko. The homes were actually so close that if you look at an image of them, they look like they're connected. Oh, that's pretty cute, actually. Apparently, Mikio was worried, because those are his in-laws, that there would be some family troubles. So he proposed soundproofing the two places, and On, his sister-in-law, agreed. Getting some uh, privacy there, yeah. I think this is a key part of what we're going to hear about coming up soon. It's like foreshadowing. There's a little bit of foreshadowing. Oh no. Yeah. Both families, just like their neighbors, actually planned to move away. They had already sold off their land to the city, but Yusuko was hesitating. She was worried about her children acclimating to a new place, which I totally get. It can be really difficult to move children. We moved around a lot as kids. We moved around a lot. Oh my goodness. So the family ended up staying in their home, at least until the night of December 30th, 2000. I'm actually going to be getting into the murder of the family. Oh. This is graphic. I'm going to try to not go too deep into it. It does involve death of children. I'm going to be very careful about the details. I'm going to kind of go quickly over the murders. If anybody is uncomfortable with hearing about that, please feel free to skip forward. I would suggest going to the second half of this episode and hearing what happens after the murder because it is very interesting. But... um. We are going to go into the, the details of the murder very quickly. Please skip forward if you're not comfortable with it. Please do not push yourself. Be gentle to your hearts and minds. Yes, please. We can put a timestamp of when to skip to at the bottom as well in the show notes. So in the show notes, I'll put a timestamp of when I stop talking about the murders and start talking about the aftermath. In December of 2000, Mikio was 44 years old. His wife, Yasuko, was 41. Nina, their daughter, was eight, and their son, Raycoon, was six. By the way, I do want to apologize if I am at all mispronouncing any of these names. It is not my intention to insult anybody. These are my best pronunciations that I was able to find. 
Pretty sure you're doing pretty good. Thanks. On the night of December 30th, 2000, around 11.30 p.m., an unknown individual entered the home through the second-story bathroom window. This window faced the park behind the house. They climbed a tree and entered by removing the window screen. There are other theories to how this individual may have entered the home, but this is the theory that's held strongly by police. I mean, climbing a tree is pretty intense. All right. Yeah, it really is. I can't imagine. Like, that's a lot of work to go through to get inside. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I'm thinking about how hard it is to climb a tree as an adult. It is hard. It hurts. It does hurt. I don't know. That's just all I can think about right there. I wouldn't voluntarily climb a tree. No. At 30 years old, to be honest with you. I would probably choose to not. My bones are bad. We're back to talking about your bones. I got bad bones. You got bad bones. Bad to the bone. You are bad to the bone, Grace. (laughs) Thanks. Yes, you are. (laughs) All right, continue. Sorry. Okay, so this is actually going to get very serious. The individual seemed to have headed straight towards the children's bedroom, which is right next to the bathroom. For those of you who are curious, I did find a map of the house, which I will be posting on our Instagram, True Crime Tea Hour, so you can kind of get an idea of what happened. Can you send that to me in general? I can totally send that to you. Do you actually want me to send that to you now so you have like an idea of what's going on? Yeah. I just sent it to you. Thank you. All right. Oh, so we're at the second floor bathroom or bedroom? So right now we're at the second floor bathroom. So there's a small window in the back. Okay. Oh, I see the window. Yeah. Yeah. Once the killer entered the children's bedroom, he immediately began to strangle Ray sleeping in his bed. Wow. He is the only one out of the whole family who dies by strangulation. Mikio ran up the first floor stairs to help his son, which it appears was where the struggle ensued. Fighting and injuring the killer, Mikio also sustained many injuries until being stabbed in the chest and head with a sashimi bocho knife, which is a thin, long knife used to prepare sashimi. This knife, it looks like, was brought along by the killer. This was not a knife belonging to the family. Gotcha. According to a police report, part of the sashimi knife blade broke off inside Mikio's head, and the killer then attacked Yasuko and Nina, who were sleeping in the attic on the top floor of the house. He attacked them with the broken knife until he stopped to, it looks like, retrieve a sentoku knife, which is also known as kind of a general kitchen knife, from their kitchen. So he stops attacking them. He walks downstairs to take their kitchen knife. In the time that he stops, it looks like Yasuko tried to flee with Nina. Unfortunately, the killer caught them. Um, and he finished murdering them with the knife that he took from their kitchen. Holy shit. That is the end of the murders. But this is where this horrifying case turns truly bizarre. The killer stayed in the house after the murder. Oh, gross. And he hung out. Okay. Yeah. He goes to the kitchen. He takes out four small cups of ice cream from the freezer. He doesn't even use a spoon. He just 
immediately starts eating this ice cream directly out of the containers. Like with his hands? No. He's taking bites out of it. I guess there are like bite marks in the ice cream containers. What the fuck? I'm, I'm starting to think drugs at this point. No clue. Absolutely no clue. Okay. He then chooses to drink four bottles of barley tea. He ignores the soda and beer in the fridge. One source I read also mentioned that he ate a melon. Like just a whole melon? I don't know if it was melon pieces. If it was a whole melon, I'm not entirely sure. It just said that he ate a melon. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know what to do with that information. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure either. I feel like the more we go through this, it's so bizarre that it's a combination of terrifying and, and confusing. Yeah. So while in the kitchen, he treats his injuries. He has a cut on his hand. So he puts a Band-Aid on it from their kitchen. Like he uses their first aid kit. Oh, uh, that's upsetting. Weirdly upsetting. Very upsetting. He then, I am so sorry about this part. Mm. He uses their toilet. He goes number two. Mm. Okay. And he doesn't flush. Of all things to not do. Okay, I'm good. Continue. He then ransacks drawers and papers. Was he looking for something? That's the weird thing. He doesn't really take much. Sources stated that some money was taken around 150,000 yen, which is close to 1,500 US dollars. But he left 190,000 yen and like 5,000 yen in foreign currency just hanging around the house. So he stole some money, but he he could have taken a lot more and he didn't. So money was not the object, clearly. Does not really look like it. Some of the things that he took out of drawers and dumped around included items from Yasuko's purses. He also took things out of Mikio's wallet. And then he threw these items into the bathtub and the toilet, okay. which also included their house keys. Okay. I, I don't know why. I mean, okay. Allegedly, he also took a nap on the sofa in the second floor living room. That's like where everybody is dead, though. Or it's near, very close. Yeah, he's doing all of this while there are the bodies of the family still there. And they haven't moved. He doesn't try to dispose of the bodies. He doesn't try to move them. They are in the places where he killed them. By the way, I want to mention that like where the bathroom is, he would have to be consistently moving around or over the bodies of the family while he's throwing things in the bathtub and taking a shit and not flushing. That really bothers me. Um, Oh my God, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. He would have had to consistently move around the bodies in order to be doing his weird bathroom things. Oh my God. This part, I know it's so weird to say it gets a little more bizarre, but it gets a little more bizarre at 1.18 a.m. So remember, he entered this house around what they assumed to be 11.30 p.m., right? Okay, so this is a couple of hours at this point. Yeah, we're talking almost two hours at this point. At 1.18 a.m., he turns on Mikio's computer. Okay. 
He is on there for about five minutes. He creates a new folder and then he visits a theater website, which was bookmarked by Mikio. Now, there's no evidence that he later went to this theater. I mean, if he was looking through bookmarks, I can see that one. But like, but did he put anything in the folder? Not from what I could tell. Not from what I read. It's an empty folder. And that's entirely according to the sources that I read. It was just that he created a folder. So it's just adding to his strange erratic behavior. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, so it continues to get weirder. Cool. But I'll go into that in a moment. So now we're going to jump forward a couple of hours to 10 a.m. Around 10 a.m., Yusuko's mother, Haruko, becomes concerned. She tried to call her daughter and no one answered. Now remember, Haruko lives in the house next door. And she would have been able to hear the murders. But from what I gathered, she wasn't able to because they had soundproofed the houses. The fucking soundproofing. The fucking soundproofing. So she tried to call her daughter on the phone, but nobody answered the phone. At, at, at a time where I'm assuming she knew they would be home. Yeah, I, I would assume so. This is early morning, right? Or not early morning, but this is the morning. Yeah. Yep. 10 a.m. The killer also unplugged the phone line while he was in the house. Oh, because God forbid he get those pesky phone calls. Yeah, you, you really don't want collections, calls, or what are they called? Spam calls? I was trying to say spam calls. You really don't want spam calls while you're wandering around the house of people you killed. Yeah, just chilling with dead people. Oh my god. If we could just take a moment. This is horrific. Oh, it's fucking awful. Yeah, and so crazy and creepy. Yeah. Like just the fact that Haruko is in the house next door and this murderer is hanging out blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. Well, and this is, and again, this is just my personal assumption, but this is what makes me think drugs or possibly a very serious mental illness. I don't know, but it's wild. I have no idea. And I think that that is the theme of this entire case is I have no idea. Yeah. So Haruko goes over to the house. She rings the doorbell. Nobody answers. So she chose to enter the house to check on her family. And she discovers all of them. Or grandma. Oh, no. This poor woman. I can't even imagine what that experience is like. Yeah. That must have been devastating. Just completely devastating. So there was a little bit of confusion during the investigation because the computer reconnects to the internet at this time at 10 a.m. Police previously thought that it could have been the killer still inside the house, but investigators later learned after they tested the type of Macintosh that the computer was that the computer reconnected to the internet, it seems, because Haruko had knocked the mouse off the desk when she discovered the body. Oh, okay. So that's also how we were able to know around the exact time that she entered the house. Gotcha. So this time frame makes it that the killer left the house anywhere from 1.18 a.m. to 10 a.m. when Haruko arrived. That's nine hours. God, that's a big time frame. Oh, yeah, that is a big time frame. After the bodies were discovered, another family member contacted the police around 10.56 a.m., 
when the police arrived, they discovered that the killer had left behind multiple items. The murder weapons were left behind. Hat, gloves, sneakers. And these were special sneakers that had been made in Korea, measuring at 27.5 centimeters, a sweater, and a fanny pack. So everything he was wearing, apparently. Yeah, except for his pants. There were also fingerprints left everywhere and his blood. I'm so confused then. As well as his feces. Well, yeah, that happened. And shoe prints. And and how how was this guy not caught? I don't understand. I'm not even getting to the half of it. Oh, God. I know. I I think nobody understands how this guy was not caught, including the police. I mean, the amount of evidence that was left behind. It's overwhelming. It's, yeah. Yeah. The killer was believed to be around one meter and 70 centimeters tall, and his physique has been thought to be thin due to the physical exertion that it would have taken for the killer to get in the house and the estimated height and weight based on his clothing. The killer was believed to be between the ages of 15 and 35. So we are looking for a younger individual. Still a a large. It's like a large age range, right? Yeah. The blood that was found was type A blood, which did not match any of the family members. So it was pretty clear that it was the killer's blood. Definitely. And mind you, this is the year 2000. While we have way more advanced DNA now, this wasn't the 60s. Yeah. They were able to find out quite a bit from his blood, which they were able to determine that he was a male. He was of South European and East Asian descent. The South European descent came from his mother's side. Oh, that's a lot of information. Yeah. It is considered possible that the European DNA came from a distant ancestor from his mother's line rather than a fully European mother, though. Gotcha. Analysis of the Y chromosome shows the haplogroup 0M122, a common haplogroup distributed in East Asian people. It appears in 1 in 4 or 5 Koreans, 1 in 10 Chinese, and 1 in 13 Japanese individuals. These results led police to seek assistance through the International Criminal Police Organization, as the killer may not be Japanese or may have even been present in Japan after the murders. Oh, woof. Okay. Police tried to match the DNA around 1,300,000 times, and it has never been matched to any suspects. Not even relatives of nope not as of right now wow so the fingerprints were all over the place like i said those were unable to be matched in japan's database the family wounds indicated that the killer was right-handed which that one doesn't help much because according to a meta-analysis that i read 90 percent of the world's population is right-handed except for me you are one of the 10 percenters grace yay (laughs) but there's more that's narrowing down who this individual could be because the sweater that he left behind was actually not a very common one. It had just gone on sale a few months prior and only 130 of those sweaters had been sold. What? Okay. And you were talking about the shoes being limited edition things too. And yeah, because they were, those are Korean shoes. Yeah. They were like custom made. So not custom made, but they were shoes that were sold in Korea, which would have at least limited 
like access. So police were only able to track down about 12 owners of these specific sweaters and they ruled all 12 of those people out as suspects. But that still leaves a hundred or so people who have who had that sweater that they'll they won't be able to contact. Yeah. They couldn't find who they were. Was that just because it was like um cash purchases or was it the company wasn't releasing the information or do we know? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I couldn't track that information down, but that's actually a really good question. If it was like people paid with cash, which I'm sure some people did, I've bought many an item with cash. Yeah. In the pockets of the sweater were traces of bird droppings, Japanese Zelkova trees, and willow leaves. Okay. He liked trees. What? That would that wouldn't have been from him climbing up the tree though, right? So that one I'm not entirely sure of. I thought about that, but I I couldn't quite find the type of tree that was directly behind their house, which also might have been that most of the articles that I read were either English articles or uh, Japanese articles translated into English. Kind of like it's lost in translation, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that maybe that has something to do with climbing the tree, but also maybe it doesn't. I can't say for sure. I'm not sure what this piece of evidence means at all, but one source I read said that there were three kinds of powdered fluorescent dyes that were found on the sneakers and the bag left at the scene. What? Okay. I don't even know what to make of that one. I've got nothing. I've got nothing either. I have no idea. Since the sneakers that were left behind were Korean, Japanese police actually sent officers to South Korea to compare fingerprints with Korean ex-convicts for potential matches, and uh, no matches were found. Okay. Yeah, so that unfortunately didn't lead anywhere. But, I mean, good on the Japanese police for going like, Yeah. All right, let's let's try the... Let's look outside the country, then. Let's look outside the country. I'm so sorry. Once again, I'm going to talk about the killer's fecal matter. Cool. Love it. Great. Thank you. Because he left that behind, it was determined that he had eaten string beans and sesame seeds the previous day. Like only that or? That seems to be what was in his digestive system. I mean, like that's what was left behind. Obviously, your digestive system can like process quite a bit, but that's what was left behind in the fecal matter. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I like to not think about poop, so. It's not on my daily list of thinking, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know, though. I'm getting older. I feel like I think about poop way more often now. So here's where I have to stop saying it gets crazier because it just, just know. It's just going to get crazier. <laughs> that everything I say gets crazier. Police were able to determine that the clothes and the sashimi knife were purchased in Kanagawa Prefecture, which, like I had mentioned, was very close to Saragaya. According to one source that I read, police have a CCTV image of him from the store when he purchased the items. And with the overwhelming amount of evidence, this is so wild. So was the CCTV image, was he purchasing it on his way to the house? Or was this like the day before? Or I do not remember what day it was, but it was close before the murders and they were able to determine that it was him Mm -hmm. because of the specific purchase that he made of these items and it was a video of him in the store buying them what the fuck 
And I have not seen this image. I'm not sure if the police have released this image in Japan or not, but just that little bit of information blows my mind. Yeah. And I'm sure is so frustrating for police because they have all of this. So much. There's no lack of evidence. They're trying everything to find this guy. Yeah. So in my opinion, this piece of evidence that I'm about to tell you is the weirdest. Okay. Because it's because. All right. Okay. I know. Trace amounts of sand were also found inside the fanny pack, which after analysis was determined to come from the Nevada desert. What? Or exactly the area of Edwards Air Force Base in California. What? What? Yeah. Could he have been American? I don't even know. You know what I thought? I I thought maybe military. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking too. Because he was traveling. The sand came from an Air Force base. But I mean, that could just be coincidence. Also, I feel like they would have been able to find him if he was military. That's true. Because military keeps crazy records. Fucking tabs on you. Yeah, it makes sense that he wouldn't be because he would be in some sort of database then. Mm-hmm. To me, I know that there's so much crazy evidence but that one piece just makes no sense you said he was on the military like the sand came from the military base itself well the area okay that military base is in the nevada desert Mm -hmm. but on the side of the nevada desert that's in california gotcha okay how fucking cool that they were able to pinpoint sand to that exact location i love science science is cool Science is so cool. The amount of science that was used in this case, it gives me so much hope for like criminal justice. But also, I mean, it feels impossible. I have no explanation. Sans interdimensional teleporting. I have no explanation. So there were also two supposed eyewitnesses, but police discounted these pretty quickly, but I am going to mention them. The first one came from a woman who claimed that she was near the crime scene driving her car sometime after 1130. She spotted a man who rushed out of the neighborhood and jumped before her car. He managed to evade her vehicle and ran away, but when police checked out this area, there was no evidence of blood or anything like that so they kind of went like okay i don't think that that's was he bleeding well i guess he wouldn't have changed his clothes so well i mean i don't know about that one there wasn't any evidence of him washing himself up he yeah fixed a wound but well and i think if he would have had enough blood on him that like even if it had dried it would have like flaked onto the car or onto the pavement as if he was running so i feel like it would be pretty noticeable if he had blood on him that the witness would have stated she would have seen it yeah yeah the second sighting happened the day after the murder. A man with a wound on his arm was spotted at a train station uh, about two to three hours away from Setigaya. He received treatment from a station worker. I'm not sure why this sighting didn't work out. Yeah, they might have just found that guy and talked to him and been like, okay, that's not the guy. <laughs> Incorrect blood. Yeah, or he could have been treated and the station worker was probably like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, let me help you out and patch you up real quick, but never see you again, yeah. But well, you said they were discredited, though, so I don't know about that. Who, who fucking knows? Yeah. Yeah. No one. Literally no one. Who knows? Who knows? <sighs> this is so frustrating. No suspects have ever been found. This case is still open. It's been 22 years. Yeah. Which is 
heartbreaking. Holy shit. Completely heartbreaking. This should have never happened to this family. It makes absolutely no sense. Any theories that the police have tried, you know, they've looked, they thought, is it possibly greed? Was it the money? But there was all that money that was left behind. They thought that maybe it was revenge or jealousy, but there was no evidence of anybody in their lives who would do something like that. It is unknown. It is completely unknown, which... So strange. There are no answers in this case. I know. The investigation into the murders is among the largest in Japanese history. It involved over 246,044 investigators. Oh. They collected over 12,545 pieces of evidence. I mean, I bet they did. Yeah, because there was a lot. Yeah. All of that evidence remains in custody today. Well, that's good. But still. So this case has not been closed. It is not a cold case. Oh. Police are still actively investigating it. Okay. In 2015, it was reported that 40 officers were assigned to the case full-time. In 2019, it was reported that 35 officers are still assigned to the case. Each year, these officers make a pilgrimage to the house for a memorial ceremony. They also hand out flyers appealing for information at the local train station in hopes that somebody will come forward with new information one day. That's wild. Right? During this time, they also have a mannequin on display wearing similar clothing that they believe the killer was wearing. Well, that's a... uh, I mean, I get it. I get that. Creepy, though. (laughs) That is a little creepy. I don't know. I forgot to mention this. He also left a plaid scarf behind that's pretty distinctive. And they include that. So they have the sweater and his sneakers and the scarf and the fanny pack all on the mannequin. So if you look at the mannequin, if you had seen that person, you would be able to go, yeah, I saw a person wearing that exact outfit around that time. Hold on for a second because I want to look up this mannequin. That is fucking weird. (laughs) What? It's wild. This is what they believe he was wearing. And those shoes, do you see how those shoes are? They're sneakers, but they're kind of distinctive sneakers. Like, I really haven't seen sneakers like that before. Yeah. And then that scarf that I mentioned, it's a very prominent, like, green, red, and yellow plaid scarf. Yeah. Oh, that's eerie. Right? To jump back to 2015, on Yusuko's sister filed a complaint to the Broadcast and Human Rights and Other Related Rights Committee of Broadcasting Ethics and Program Improvement Organization <laughs> is a very long word. She claimed that the TV Asahi documentary about her sister's murder aired in 2014 misrepresented her after a reporter, an ex-FBI agent, used profiling to back a theory that the killer murdered the family out of resentment. So it seems like essentially blamed Yasuko in some way for the for the family getting murdered. All right. Uh, incorrect. Um, yep. Mm. And this is all according to sources I read, by the way. She is quoted to have said, mm-hmm. I felt that what I had built was destroyed by this program. It is regrettable as I have accepted every kind of media interview, hoping it would lead to the case being solved. That is a quote from on during a news conference in Tokyo. So this was basically the uh, FBI agent's assumption or, or theory taken out of context, essentially. 
in, in this documentary. I'm assuming the agent had no ill intentions with that, but I'm sure the documentary and editing, of course, make it more interesting. I don't know for sure the motivations. I have not seen the documentary. Fair. I mean, she filed a complaint. I would definitely say that whatever mm -hmm. had happened went against what she was trying to fight for for the family. Yeah. That is, again, that is my own personal assumption. The TV Asahi responded in saying, we provided an explanation to Miss Irie, who, uh, by the way, that is On's last name, On Irie. After the program was aired, as there was a divergence of views, we have nothing to say at this point. All right. In 2019, police announced that the house would be torn down because of its age and risk of collapsing with the interior area showing signs of deterioration. That was actually appealed by the family and supporters. So as far as I know, the house is still standing. So Japan has very strict laws for the construction of new buildings and older buildings being torn down because of earthquakes and things. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. I'm impressed they got it appealed. That's the information I have as of right now. All the information I was able to get only goes up to 2020. So that could have changed, but I don't know for sure. Fair. Yeah. In 2020, a police spokesperson said that the department will never give up until the case is solved. I mean, I'm sure it's making them insane. Yeah. This is so unexplainable and so horrific and sudden, completely random. It's an impossible case. Because... You have everything that we know would solve a case like this. Yeah. And it's not a lack of police doing their job at all. No, clearly. This is thorough police work. But this guy disappeared. Fucking vanished. The case is still unsolved and open. I did read, though, that there is some hope. So I'm sure you guys have all kept up with in the last years that the Golden State Killer was caught Ooh. using familial DNA. Right. I know. So cool. And there is hope that with familial DNA being collected more and more and DNA technology becoming more advanced, that one day police will be able to find who killed the Miyazawa family. That's exciting, at least. I know. So there's hope. I mean, there's so much evidence that at any point this could get solved. Yeah. It just needs that one one little trigger. Exactly. Hot damn. Now, it is known as the Setagaya family murders because of the town that it took place in. That is the crazy, crazy case of the Setagaya family murders. That was a roller coaster. Well, it was a roller coaster that just kept falling just the whole time. It was... I know. Oh, man. It baffles me. The whole time I was researching, I pull up a piece of information and I would just be like, what? And then I would pull up another piece of information and I would be like, what? And I'm telling you, that Nevada sand piece just threw me. I... <laughs> because this whole time we were in sort of this one part of the world... And Japan is close to California. This is true. You know, there's only an ocean away. Yeah. But still, considering that Korea is on the other side of Japan than California is, I mean, we're spanning pieces of evidence over... More than one continent, yeah. Thousands of miles, maybe? It's crazy. So I'm confused, and it was so sad. It didn't need to happen, and it doesn't make any sense as to why it happened. There's, there's nothing. There's no closure. There's no nothing. Yeah. 
Like I said, there is hope, though. And I like that there's still hope. Yes. So we'll go ahead and end out the episode with our tarot card reading. Ooh, tarot. Woohoo! So the card that I drew for this episode is the Three of Wands. This card represents moving forward with plans, being more convicted to follow through. So I hope we have a lot of following through with plans this week for everybody. Feeling a little called out right now. It's fine. It's okay. I literally spent (laughs) the entire day binge watching Love is Blind. Because I'm stuck at home. I want to trade? You want to pack my room up? Um, yes. I'll watch Love is Blind instead. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this. Big difference between Grace and I, which is that I'm overly organized. Almost to an annoying part of it. Yeah. Oh, is it almost to an annoying part? Is it? <laughs> you want to talk about how you're the opposite? <laughs> yeah. No, I am. I am highly disorganized and a hot mess it is opposite sides of the spectrum yeah i'm a hot mess in the other direction and our poor parents <sighs> they did their best they did they did well i think they did well we're functioning we are grown-ups <laughs> question mark we're still standing <laughs> we're here shout out to our parents by the way we love you both Pink's mom and dad does dad does he listen he does listen what that's great Hi, Dad. Both of our parents listen to the podcast, guys. Yeah, I I live with our mom, so I know that she listens. (laughs) Hi, Mom. Our cousins also listen to the podcast. Yep, they're cute. We love our cousins very much. My partner listens to the podcast. A whole familial fan base. I'm very excited about this. I know my best friend listened to the trailer, but I don't know if she's listened to the episode yet. She's got a lot going on. I know. My best friend also did not listen to our latest episode, um, but she also has a lot going on. So that's totally understandable. <laughs> it's okay, guys. We love you. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a kind and hopeful week. Please be good to yourselves. Please love yourselves. Please talk to yourself as if you were talking to your best friend. Which includes yelling at yourself. Yes. When you're being mean to yourself. Don't be mean to yourself. That's it. That's it. Get out of here. All right. Bye. You can rate and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at True Crime Tea Hour.